most of us don't just want to read our Bible. We want to enjoy it. We want to understand it. This is the Bible Field Guide podcast. We make the Bible make sense. Today we begin our first project on scripture, so I'm super excited to get started. And our team thought, why not start at the beginning? So over the next few months at Bible Field Guide, we are going to be guiding you through the Torah. Now you might not know what the Torah is, but it's just the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But today, I want to start with why. Why should we want to read the Torah? When I say that we're going to be going through the Torah, probably only the biggest nerds listening to this podcast are going to get pumped. But today, I hope to change that. I want to talk about why every follower of Jesus should be excited to read and understand Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So let's just go ahead and start with Jesus. Great place to start. When the devil tempted Jesus, where did he turn? Well, if you already guessed Torah, then you're right. When Jesus had to answer the most pressing questions in his own day about marriage and sexuality, where did Jesus turn? To the Torah. What set the patterns for Jesus's ministry of both spiritual and physical liberation? What set the pattern for Jesus's plan to inaugurate a new Israel? What book set the pattern for Jesus's mission to bless the nations and bring them into allegiance to himself? What section of scripture did Jesus quote the most, more than any other part? Well, if you said Torah, then you'd be right. It's Torah, Torah, Torah. If we want to understand Jesus, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say that we've got to understand the Torah. Unfortunately, our modern translations render the Hebrew word Torah as law, basically throughout the entire Bible. The word law feels cold and rigid, and if we're going to be honest, unless you're a lawyer or an attorney, it can sound pretty boring. Now, I want to say this. There's a long history. There's reasons behind translating Torah as law, Uh, but here's what matters for us today. The Hebrew noun Torah, it actually comes from a Hebrew verb, yara, which means to teach or to instruct. Thus, the word Torah actually means instruction. Law is pretty different than instruction, isn't it? Law implies rule following, obedience to a standard of behavior. Law, at least to my mind, implies something like an IKEA furniture construction manual. Okay, so I've built a lot of IKEA furniture in my life. It's one of my least favorite things in the world. Why? Because it gives these strict step by step descriptions of what to do and how to do it. And here's the deal one tiny misstep. One little piece left out can result in disaster, hours of work lost. If you don't believe me, you've obviously never built uh, anything from Ikea. That's what law can imply, right? A list of instructions where the tiniest misstep results in disaster. But instruction seems to imply something different. Instruction is about shaping character. It's about developing wisdom. In some ways, instruction is closer to what uh, we in the modern world might call best practices. So it doesn't matter what field you're in, whether it's marketing or education or law, any field has its own best practices, certain ways of doing things that everybody knows generally in principle bring about the best results. Now, what's interesting about best practices is that they aren't rules. They're not exacting standards. But their practices, their principles that shape how you see and do your job in general. 
They're about character. They're about having vocational wisdom. Torah wants to instruct us on the best practices in life so that we can wisely organize our communities, our societies, and our lives in a way that's characterized by God's own love and justice and mercy. So if you want to know the Old Testament's definitive instruction on God, on wisdom, on growing your character, uh, the scriptures that actually shaped Jesus's view of God, developed his wisdom and his character, if you want those things, then you've got to know the Torah. The sad truth, at least in my own experience, is that Torah, the first five books of the Bible, are often neglected by Christians. Sometimes in Christian circles, this comes about from a a false presupposition that the Old Testament is old, right? And that Jesus has done away with the old to give us something new. Or we see that Paul says that the law brings death. And we say, why do I want anything to do with the law, with the Torah? Now, we've got to be careful here because there's something true about those statements, but it's far from the whole truth. And on its own, it's actually incredibly misleading. Jesus did bring something new. In Jesus, something new has happened. God has actually opened up a new era in redemptive history. And in this new era, his people aren't defined by both faith and ethnicity. They are defined by faith and allegiance to the Messiah alone. The Father's done something through Jesus, the Messiah, the King, and the Holy Spirit to purify a people from sin and to actually write his Torah, his instruction on our hearts. He's made it possible for us through Jesus to obey him in a new way. But, 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 we got to catch this. All of these new things, these are all patterned. These are all trajectories set by the Old Testament itself and by the Torah specifically. So let's just walk through a few of these things, and I'll show you what I mean. We'll start with faith. Again, many people think that, okay, Christians are saved by faith, but people in Israel, they were saved by works. The problem is that's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, Abraham, the father of Israel, is the exemplar of salvation by faith in both Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. Israel, as a nation, is called to faith. This is the response that they're supposed to have in reaction to God's rescue of them from Egypt, from Pharaoh. It's the response expected throughout the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, Torah shows us that the main problem with Israel isn't a lack of obedience, but it's more fundamentally a lack of faith. It's more fundamentally a lack of faith, which leads to disobedience. Here's the point. Israel was called to obey by faith the same way as us. Israel was rescued by God the same way that we are rescued by God, and their response was to be faith the exact same way that our response is to be faith. They weren't saved by works. Okay, but let's look at a different category. What about ethics? I mean, doesn't the New Testament have this new ethic of love that wasn't quite present in the Old Testament? Doesn't Jesus call us to not only love God, but to love our neighbors as ourselves? Well, again, let's just ask the question, where did Jesus get those ideas? He got the loving God bit from Deuteronomy 6, but the loving your neighbor as yourself, that's Leviticus 19. It's Torah. Okay, but what about heart transformation and the indwelling of God's spirit? Aren't those things new? 
Well, no, not not really. Torah calls for internal heart transformation the same way Jesus does. Moses calls this the circumcision of the heart. It's a weird phrase, but it's this idea of, of cutting off what separates you from God and internal transformation. He talks about it in Deuteronomy 10. And Moses, he also hopes for a day. He, he, he predicts a day when all of God's people would be filled with his spirit. Moses says, yes, I'm filled with God's spirit. And he sees other people being filled with God's spirit. He says, wow, won't it be great one day when God fills all people with his spirit? In fact, in Deuteronomy 30 and 31, Moses predicts a latter days, days at the end of time, if you will, but those days were actually the days of Jesus when a prophet like himself would come and God himself would act to circumcise Israel's heart, to fill them up with his spirit. So you see the idea of heart transformation, being indwelt by the Spirit, these aren't new things. They come to us from the Torah. The Torah sets the pattern for New Testament faith. It sets the trajectory for New Testament ethics and for the future fulfillment of God's promises. I think this is why Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, and guess what? That's not going to happen. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the Torah until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, the Torah, will be called great, in the kingdom of heaven. If our view of the Old Testament, if our view of the Torah, if it prevents us from reading that passage, what Jesus said, if it prevents us from reading that passage without blushing, then I think we've got a view that Jesus himself can't agree with. Greatness in God's kingdom comes from living in the storyline which begins in the Torah and living a life which lives in accord with the, with the vision of the world that the Torah gives us. In fact, I'll press one step further. Torah doesn't merely shape my own wisdom, character, and understanding of God. Torah was designed to shape a community. This book is designed not to just create a certain kind of individual person out there, but a certain kind of society, a certain pattern and way of living together. Or I think as Jesus himself would put it, the kingdom of God. It's our hope that as we study through Torah together over the next few months at Bible Field Guide, that our individual lives and our communities would be transformed by it. How's that going to happen? Well, I think it's going to happen by us coming into contact with the voice of the creator God who is speaking through these books. It's my hope that maybe by the time you're done with this, these strange books called the Torah, books that often can confuse us and and leave us wondering, why are these in the Bible? That that by the time we're done going through this together, uh, you'll be able to pray and sing Psalm 119.97. Catch this. Oh, how I love your Torah. I hope you'll be able to say, I love Torah. I meditate on it all day long. I hope you'll be able to say, I've I've meditated on Torah. I've allowed it to shape my life the same way it shaped Jesus. I hope you'll be able to sing and pray Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words, the words of the Torah, to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Thanks for listening to Bible Field Guide. Please subscribe and give us a rating if you like this content. It helps other people find our podcast. If you don't already follow us on Instagram, just search for Bible Field Guide or click the link in the show notes. Or you can go to our website, BibleFieldGuides.com, to browse what we've created so far. We're still in the very early stages of the project. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is kind of our our first real jaunt into the Bible. So there's not a lot out there yet, but we've got a lot, lot, lot more planned. So if you've got any questions, thoughts, ideas, or musings, you can go onto our website, email us there. Please reach out. We'd love to hear from you.